Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss, and thank you so much for coming back week after week, listening to me, giving me five-star ratings and reviews. It truly means so much. For all the new listeners out there, I hope you'll stick around week, or I guess for next episode next week. I'm going to be eventually taking a short hiatus uh, for a knee surgery, but I will be back after that. And I promise I'm going to miss all of you until then. We have a wonderful guest today and a woman I really admire. I had the fortune of meeting her earlier this summer. It was really lovely. So if you get a chance to hit up the conference circuit in esports, I'm sure you'll find her there. Today we have on Rebecca Youngva. Which I hope I said that right. I should have confirmed with you before I started. Yes. Okay. Uh, and that's spelled L-O-N-G-A-W-A for those looking for you on LinkedIn or for those of you looking for her on LinkedIn. Rebecca is the founder and president of Happy Warrior and the CEO of Women's Carball. Happy Warrior, in its own words, helps brands navigate sports sponsorship and endorsement deals, sports tech and esports startups on go-to-market strategy and branding, and investors find startups for investments, and athletes and streamers build their brands. So really, it's a little bit of everything. And in her not-so-spare time, she is also the CEO of Women's Carball League, which or women's carball rather, which is the second largest esports league for women in the world and features women who play Rocket League. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Love for you to introduce yourself and give a bit of background. Tell me about your projects, about Happy Warrior, about everything else that you do. I, I think I only covered about half of it. So you step in for the rest. <laughs> thanks, Lindsay. Um, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, you know, my background is in sports marketing and advertising, and I, I worked within the NBA um, as a brand manager with the Timberwolves and Lynx. So, I mean, I think the way that I center myself in the esports and gaming ecosystem is really leveraging everything that I, I learned working in advertising, working with brands, getting them integrated in pro sports. I leverage that in a way to really help a lot of non-endemic brands get into esports and gaming. You know, I, I understand marketing goals and objectives. I understand how to build out really unique activations and experiences. And so I kind of think of the way that I work with the pro orgs and teams that I work with and the way that I work with brands is really kind of being an ideator with them, an extension of, of their team to come up with ways that you know, are, are, are beyond what, uh, what everybody fears, which is like the logo slap, right? It's like, how can you build out a strategy that is authentic? How do you build something that's credible? And then really thinking about anchoring it back to monetization for the brand itself, whether that's short-term or, or broad long-term strategy. Part of my role with the Timberwolves happened organically with just the emergence of a ton of sports tech. So um, it was just kind of happening before there were, there weren't even directors of innovations at the pro sports teams. It was just happening naturally and organically. And I was able to be a part of some really cool movements in sports technology that now have really lended well to me helping find some of those startups for investors and then working with those startups and really bringing them from like 
the investment strategy that they've been used to working on for years sometimes to a true go-to-market strategy. And so I, I still am very interested in the in the traditional sports tech side of the world. A lot of that has melded into some esports technology. So yeah, I'm working with some some pro teams. I work with a streamer um, by the name of Nubzer. He uh, calls himself the one-handed gamer. He was born um, with with only one hand and a partial arm. Um, and he's just a super elite Warzone streamer. He streams Apex and some other games. Uh, he's a, a super cool kid that reached out to me building out um, communities. You know, work obviously on a lot of women's issues. I'm a woman in, in gaming. I come from traditional sports. So it's natural for me to be a voice for women's issues in our industry. Um, and, and women's car ball just kind of fell into my lap, I guess, when uh, the new owners purchased that property and they were really looking for somebody who could build the business set around what was a very powerful league that had been really grassroots. And it, it still is pretty grassroots, but we're getting a lot of cool traction. So that's my long-winded here I am. I love long-winded answers as a podcast host. I, I never criticize a guest for talking too much. That's for sure. I'm so excited to talk more about women's carball, and we'll definitely get into that. I'm I'm so interested in that. Um, but I want to I want to start by diving into your career history a, a bit. And you've already talked about how you made this transition from the traditional sports world to the east to esports and gaming. There's always comparisons drawn between those two worlds. I think traditional sports are just so familiar for most people. They kind of understand that model. And so there's this kind of want to apply that model into esports. And I'm sure you know, and I'm sure you tell brands all day, they're not, they're not the same. <laughs> there is definitely overlaps for sure. But what skills were you able to kind of carry over from traditional sports? And what was something new you had to maybe learn or dust off from the archives uh, when you actually move to working with more esports brands? There's a number of things that I was able to glean from working in traditional sports and, and apply it to esports. And it's it really just comes down to trying to build out or being able to build out activations that really resonate with fans and being able to have a deep understanding of the client itself, the brand itself, and the team. Really understanding what their end game is or what their goals are and being able to marry that together. I would say to your second part of you know what's really different or what I've had to kind of uh, wrap my head around is the way that the fans uh, really differentiate themselves. In traditional sports, it's um, a lot easier for a brand to just attach themselves to, you know, an NFL team or an NBA team and just kind of let the team run with it and do whatever. And the sports marketing arm, I would say, from a from a large or big box brand, a lot of times just signs a deal and they're not super heavily ingrained in the day-to-day. -day. Esports is a little bit different. I would say the fans are way more sophisticated, I guess. Um, and it's probably because they're a lot younger. Traditional sports fans are happy to walk in, you know, through a gate of a pro stadium and have a free handout and engage with a brand in that way or fill out a slip of paper in order to win a basketball or a signed jersey. And there's a lot of like quick data grab. When you're dealing with an audience that we have in esports that was born digital, 
they're very marketing adverse. So they don't necessarily want their data collected. They don't get really incentivized to um, hand over who they are in order to maybe win a thing. I mean, it, it is a layer within our ecosystem, but they're a lot more sophisticated than that. And I think what the fans within the esports industry are really looking for is for brands that want to be a part of their community and want to have a conversation with them to come alongside them, not just talking to them. It is different. And there's layers and layers to that. I think right now, what we're seeing from some of the larger brands getting into esports, they're doing it through their sports marketing departments in many ways. But I believe the future will really merge and evolve uh, with their digital marketing teams to be more of a holistic digital marketing strategy, because there's a lot of gaps right now that brands can take advantage of um, in terms of how they can reach gamers that maybe are, are engaging with the game and engaging with streams, but aren't necessarily the esports enthusiasts, like the hyper-engaged esports fans. There's a huge market share that's just really waiting to be untapped there. Okay, there were so many nuggets of wisdom in there. I don't even know how to begin to follow up. I hope that anyone who is in advertising or activations or sponsorships, maybe you should just click the back button for about two minutes and listen to that again, because I fully plan on re-listening to that answer later. Do you still feel like there is a learning curve with bigger brands? You had mentioned, you know, the NFL, the NBA, it's pretty easy to slap a logo on. And I do have to say that I laugh every year when there's the official tire sponsor of the NFL. And you can get away with that in traditional sports because they're so ingrained into our culture and society. But do you feel like brands are starting to recognize the opportunity in esports? Is it I'm wondering if there's been like sort of a tipping point because you've been in this for a long time of you reaching out to brands versus brands reaching out to you and what that's been like in the past two or three years. Well, I'll say I'll reach out to a brand once. If they're not really getting it, then I'm not going to waste my time with that brand. So there's some advice for anybody who works in partnerships. If they're not intrigued or excited or curious if they're naysaying, if they're talking um, about the industry in a way that you feel like like you have to defense or argue, then that's going to be their, they're going to miss out. And that's okay. There's so much proactive outreach from brands right now that are truly, I would say, esports curious. They want to figure it out. And it is a huge learning curve. I would almost say the bigger, like the, the bigger, bigger brands that weren't early to it, because you've got huge brands like MasterCard that got in early, right? So they now they just totally get it. Like they're super smart and they're very well steeped in League of Legends. And, and year over year, they've learned so much. Um, there's brands like DHL who have been in for a long time. That's a, that's a major global brand. But the other big brands who didn't take a risk earlier, I always say it's not the fear of missing out. It's the cost of missing out. Because for a brand to pivot, it's like, I always say it's like turning the evergreen around in the Suez Canal. It's going to take a while because there's layers of red tape and complexity within your organization in order to go all in on a new vertical. The early adopters of smaller risky brands, you see brands that are not necessarily the healthiest brands. They're the brands that always take risk early. So the energy drinks, the salty snacks, 
they're going to come in early in anything risky. Um, I always say when I'm talking to esports properties, look at which brands are leaning in on like UFC and MMA. Those are probably brands that will quickly take a risk in esports and gaming regardless because they are risk takers. So you look at things that other people maybe don't have a deep understanding of, or, but they, but you know, like a Red Bull, the Red Bulls of the world are like really leaning in on what's new and what's hot. And that's what sets them apart. Right. And so I think what we're seeing right now, what we've, what I have been a part of over the past, I would say nine to 12 months is brands that are in between. So they're global brands, but they're, they might not necessarily be the biggest names in the world, but they're big names like Bush's Baked Beans and Pagoda Egg Rolls in the space now. Tyson Chicken's been working on esports strategy and getting into um, esports through some of their sweepstakes. So now you're getting into brands that are, yes, a food product, but healthier food products that um, a mom and dad would would be buying in the, in the grocery aisle, Right. Those brands are coming in and kind of testing the waters and doing due diligence and learning. I think we're going to see more and more brands that are um, non-endemic service brands and consumer product goods, really understanding that if they want to reach the next generation of consumers, then this is where they already are in engaging with content. So instead of creating something from scratch, they can you know, really collaborate with credible sources within the space and still create unique owned content, but doing it in a, in a totally different way than they've done before. Amazing callback to the ever given, one of my favorite moments of 2021. Truly a, a joyous time for those of you who are on Twitter to see the boat stuck in the Suez. What is one activation or project you've worked on that you really love? Is there one that just kind of you were like, this was, I'm just so happy with the way this turned out. I would say Bush's Baked Beans for me is probably one of the coolest moments in a partnership success history of my life. And, and for a few reasons. Number one, Bushes was introduced to me through a nonprofit called Gen Youth. Bushes Baked Beans has historically done so much behind the scenes and under the radar for ensuring that they're supporting, you know, the, our, our country in, in regards to food insecurity, right? So Gen Youth is a partner of theirs and and Gen Youth had suggested to Bushes to, to get involved with, with an esports to reach the next generation of consumers. So if you think about Bushes, Bushes Baked Beans, they've been around for over 200 years. They're a family owned company. They're owned by the Bushes brothers. For a brand like that to, first of all, understand that their main consumer, their lead consumer is kind of aging out and really kind of being interested in taking a risk in esports is just kind of awesome. And what the conversations really led to is understanding what success looked like for Bushes, really from a deep marketing strategy. So with Bushes, one of the big ways that they can find success as an organization or where they have like bigger deals is working with colleges and universities. Dylan Pomeroy and I from version one, we took a look at Collegiate Rocket League 
And we cross-referenced it with the colleges and universities that Bushes was really kind of wanting to create conversation with and where they could potentially find success. So we were looking for colleges and universities from them that were that their food kitchens. So like when you go to get get your meals when you live in a dorm where those were independently owned and the Bushes would have a greater success of being able to build relationships and be able to monetize those relationships. And we cross-referenced it with the team at eFuse and Collegiate Rocket League. And we did we did two things. We did an invitational with the schools that we identified, but then we kind of doubled down with Collegiate Rocket League and their summer series to integrate Bushes and really introduce Bushes to the to the holistic esports market through Rocket League. So this is a really cool activation. It's a it's just a really fun brand. It was received very very well within the space. To me, that is probably my favorite because it's just so different from what you normally would see within our space. It's kind of like a really, you know, like it's so unexpected. I love that. Oh, they're they're going beyond the really good commercials that I always remember with the golden retriever. The talk. Oh my gosh, Duke the dog. <laughs> Duke the dog. So cute. Also a good one. Yeah, <laughs> very iconic. Uh, uh, especially in the U.S. So you wear so many hats from running Happy Warrior to managing Nubzer to running a podcast, which by the way is called The Future of Marketing and Esports. And I will link that in the show notes. For a lot of people, and this includes myself, this is a very, when I was writing this question, I was writing it for me. <laughs> but for a lot of people constantly having new directions and things to think about can charge a motivational battery. But how do you find that balance between, okay, I'm happy, I'm engaged, I'm working 12 hour days, but I'm I'm meeting great people and I'm working on really cool stuff to, oh my God, there's so much to do. I can't even think, I don't sleep anymore. What am I doing? <laughs> I mean, I definitely experienced burnout, like burnout's real. You know, remember I started in advertising. So when you work at an ad agency, anybody listening to your podcast has that type of a background. If you're an account manager or you're a producer, project manager, which I've had all of those roles over the years, I started my career in advertising full-time at 19 years old. So, I mean, I've, I'm like OG workaholic. You don't go to like, it's your job, like it's your one job working in advertising, but you don't just have one client. Traditionally, if you're an ad agency, you maybe have four to six clients. I have like four to six clients that I work with, right? I'm independent. And so it's a discipline and a balance that I've been juggling my entire life. And even when I worked in-house at the Timberwolves, my role was very much to be the nucleus between sales and marketing. And I had so many special projects that, you know, you just learn how to manage those as individual projects. Also, I can't say enough about the clients that I work with and the, and the deep thought leadership within their ecosystem that provides a lot of support. I have a really great staff at Women's Carball that I'm really providing direction and they're doing at version one and and rocker. I also am bringing in some strategy and ideation, and I'm, I'm taking a look at what their team is building out for those activations, but I'm handing that off to like, probably I would say, you know, uh, Jenna Johnson, Blaze Butler, Dylan Pomeroy, some of the, some of the top partnership activations managers that are out there. I mean, they're 
I don't ever worry about handing a client off to them. I know that it's going to be managed. It's going to be elite. I know that process is going to be great. So a lot of it has to do with really having smart people around you to support you. Um, But I do have days where it's like, I don't know what happened. I like maybe had to go run to the grocery store and I come home and I've got 54 emails, like over an hour, like, oh my goodness, I have to like run through that or my phone does blow up quite a bit. I get a lot of text messages. I probably get text messages from 30 to 50 different people every single day, which seems a little bit insane. But so I would say training in my past life, training throughout my life, coupled with just the raw ADHD nature of who I am that allows me to pivot from one thing to another. If I'm bored of this, I can jump to this. I can jump back. Um, and And I'm the kind of person who really works in waves. I get these huge spurts of high energy and I can knock a lot of things out pretty rapidly. And I listen to my body. Um, I'm also a single mom. So you have to factor that in and homeschool my son. So um, I, I listen to my body. I take good care of myself. I take good care of my skin and my nails and we have a hot tub I like to soak in and I sleep, you know, probably eight to 10 hours every single night. Sleep for me is my number one. That's my golden um, I'm also a very big sleeper. Like I, I have always prioritized sleep. I've always tried to get enough sleep. I am a, a nine hour a night kind of gal and I know that about myself. So if that means doing less of something else, it's going to happen because I need my sleep. So totally get that. In speaking of kind of having this team around you, I want to talk more about women's carball and what that's been like. So tell me how you found that position and how it is, you know, versus running happy warrior where you're a little bit more on your own technically versus being with women's Carball, which is your CEO of, of that organization. So what has it been like to go from being working for yourself for so many years to working with an uh, actual league and team, first of all, and secondly, just tell me all about women's Carball. Yeah. Um, yeah. Women's Carball, we're starting our fifth season, but it really is kind of like it's very first season because everything is changed. It's new. It started as a grassroots community effort of women who play Rocket League, who wanted a safe place to play together and compete together. What has happened over the past few years is it's been a league that's run about three months a year. Um, Women have signed up, created their own teams, played together. That's kind of been it. The viewership has been very high. Some of the top talented esports athletes compete in the league. The the viewership's amazing. Like it's absolutely phenomenal viewership. People are really love to watch this. And it's it's you know Rocket League is cars playing soccer. For those who are not familiar with Rocket League, it's very consumable. It's absolutely the most watchable video game. You don't need audio on to understand it. It's bright. It's fun. It's colorful. With the audio on, it's even better. But I mean, you don't you, know, you don't need it to understand the game. And there's a lot of very complex esports out there where it's like, what is happening? I don't understand the point of the game. This one, you definitely understand the point of the game. I can second that too. I love I love watching Rocket League. It's very fun, <laughs> and it's fun to watch in groups of people. Um, it's fun to go to like a Rocket League watch party and watch in groups. It's really it's really cool. It's fun to cheer for. So Mark Josie, who is one of the owners of the Kansas City Pioneers, he's an entrepreneur. He owns other companies as well. He was on my podcast uh, maybe a year ago. We did a recording. He reached out to me 
and said, hey, there's an opportunity with women's, at the time it was called Women's Carball Championship League. And so he said, we've got this thing with Women's Carball Championship League. He had purchased it along with Jeremy Turman. So it's separate from the Kansas City Pioneers, but the same ownership group owns Women's Carball. It was at threat of not being able to exist anymore. The founder and kind of creator of that league taken a full-time position and couldn't really do both at the same time. So they they took it on and you know they they realized that a bunch of men aren't necessarily going to move the needle forward and have authenticity trying to bring it to market, right? And so as I was kind of taking a look at historically what had happened with the league and where they were wanting to go, it was so grassroots that it was like, okay, this is a really cool thing that's been built, but it's not on a foundation. It's not a business yet. So, you know, as we were having the conversation, I was like, well, a general manager doesn't really, cause that was the role they were looking to fill. I was like, a general manager doesn't really make sense for me because I'm not an esports tournament organizer. I've never been a general manager. I wouldn't vet out players. I don't know how to do all those things. I think the value that I bring is on the business side And I can't necessarily fill the shoes of Kilk, who was running it previously. We'll need to hire for that. But if you want me on, I'll do all the things that aren't being done, right? I'll build a foundation. I'll make it a company. I'll make it a business. I'll build out um, a merch line. We'll rebrand. We will, you know, start having conversations with the publisher on what success looks like for them. We'll rebuild the model out, build a website. There wasn't a website. There's, we're, we're kind of in beta of building that on the back end. Um, so I've really been taking on a role that didn't necessarily exist with this league before. It's a lot of pressure. It's it's what keeps me up at night is like, there's so many people who say they support women in gaming, but they support it by saying they support it. <laughs> we need support through people who want to invest in it and want to invest in in the growth of it through brand dollars, through contributing towards a prize pool. So these girls get paid. And through the pro teams to start signing women's carball teams so that the players are getting paid to participate and getting the proper coaching and training that they need. So we've had a quite a few huge brand heroes, Gen G, huge brand hero came come in and they signed a team, um, the Mobile One team, Misfits Gaming signed a team, and Luminosity signed a team. Um, under Enthusiast Gaming. So we have three major orgs who really believe in the vision. And I'm just so gassed that they're that they're all in and, and supporting us because everyone in this industry who wants to see the needle move forward for women in gaming, it's all of our responsibilities to do the work to get there and to, and to um, come together and build it together. So I don't take a salary. I'm not making any money. I've been really working hard to make this because when I was young, being somebody who loved sports and who would, you know, sit with my dad and curl up on the couch with uh, Dino, our cat, and watch football on Sundays and on Monday nights and um, wrestling on Saturday mornings. Like, I remember thinking, I wish I could do that when I'd look at a broadcast desk or a sideline reporter. But I really, I didn't ever said it out loud, but like internally, I was like, oh, I wish girls could do that. I wish girls could have that job. I wish girls could do this. I want my daughter and hopefully future granddaughters down the road to not have to wish for something when it comes to esports and gaming. And if I can 
invest my time and energy to build it for them, then I have purpose. So um, makes everything else that I do worth it. I love that. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, that was, you're right. Like it is, it is on us to kind of do the work and, and to get out there and it's on, it's on other people to be listening. And so I will say that was the reason for the whole genesis of, of this podcast, which has truly paid off. And I was so, I'm so, I feel so grateful to have, uh, the person who owns Holodeck Media supporting that vision and really behind it. And the one who said, we need to do something for women in the space. Like, Absolutely. Go start a podcast. What do you want to hear about? <laughs> the thing is, if if Aaron Andrews would have been around when I was, you know, nine and 10 years old, I probably would have been in pro sports in a totally different way, right? Because I would have seen someone that I could identify with that looks like me doing something tangible and cool. And I think what is really powerful about your podcast is you're creating a line of sight for other women and girls to, to really hear the voices of women leaders and be able to envision themselves there someday or adjacent to in some way. Right. Well, I appreciate that so much. And that was the reason for it, you know, and, and like you said, how, how Carball gives you, gives you purpose. That's definitely how I feel about this. That's, that's what keeps me going. And I love that you also love broadcast journalism. I, I was reflecting back not too long ago and I realized that I, that was actually my dream job. Um, when I was in middle school, it's like, I want to be a sports journalist and that didn't wind up working out. I wound up somehow being in data science, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> um, but I was reflecting on that probably about six months ago and I thought, well, having a podcast is kind of like that, you know? So it's like, I like that we both have that outlet for that thing that we always wanted to do. I mean, long term, I'd love to have like a radio, but basically turn my podcast into a radio show and just talk to people like every day about what's going on day to day in the space and the industry, but five years, maybe. You never know. And speaking of kind of getting women into the industry and also the mission behind Carball, one of the things that you mentioned was that it was started so that women could play without having to deal with toxicity, without having to deal with some of the negatives. And I've gone through the statistics several times on this show, so I'm not I'm not going to do that again. But let's talk about forward-facing stuff. You had mentioned that you wish that there was better resources out there. What do you think those resources would look like? There's definitely grassroots efforts for women, right? That that exist. I will say the barriers, there's a number of barriers that are very fixable, right? Number one, what has happened over the years is women have kind of been boxed out of the industry. It happens in traditional sports as well. I mean, you post a job and a lot of times the people who hear about it are within the network of people who already work there. So if it's heavily male dominated, they're going to be sharing that with their friends who are going to be applying and women get boxed out in that way. Um, Also, if women do apply in esports and gaming, and this is gaming holistically, the, you know, 300 and whatever, 80 some billion dollar industry of gaming, that is also very male dominated because women historically haven't been working in that space. Their resumes don't appear on paper to stack up, but the skills do. So I think um, for any men listening and you're hiring or any hiring managers, look for the transferable skills that are relevant. So it might be from another industry, like for me in traditional sports, my marketing background was a very easily transferable skill that can be applied to the sales of esports and gaming, right? So that's one. Where 
brand's own um, some responsibility here is because the industry's numbers are so focused on the stereotype of boy and men gamers, a lot of times the brand and marketing efforts are talking to that specific audience and not talking to girls and women. There's responsibility on game developers to continue to move the needle forward on creating more protagonist characters and um, script writers within the video games to write healthy women characters and women characters that are well-rounded, that aren't just healers. We need more badass women characters in the in the space as well. Um, it's the role of publishers, I will say, until it is. Um, I will say in like every single interview, I firmly believe it is the role of publishers to make women's esports initiatives foundational pillars of everything that they do. Valorant is a great example. Thank you, Riot Games, for making women in gaming a foundational pillar of Valorant. I think that there's a lot of other publishers who should follow suit and be very intentional with that um, because there's a lot of money being poured into the collegiate scene but women are also being boxed out of the collegiate scene. We could go on and on. Those are big ones. I mean, I think those are kind of like the heavy hitters, um, organizations hiring. I know I talk a lot about how great version one is. They really have done a great job of creating. Well, but it's true. Things. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard not to talk about them when it's true. <laughs> You know, so props to Brett Diamond for coming on and having the second and third hire within that organization, both women. They have so many, the majority of their staff are women. They have more women executives, C-suite executives on their staff than any other esports organization probably in the world. They have huge programs with their Visionaries community program of creating safe places for women globally to be able to compete and play at an amateur fun level together. They've hosted women of the ERENA with eFuse. They're huge supporters of community. They're huge supporters of the game hers. They put their money where their mouth is. Yeah, that organization, I couldn't be more proud to partner with an org like version one, truly. They do, they do it right. And I think that if anybody is like, man, we really need to do more for women in gaming. And they have a they have version X, they're all women's Valorant team. Brett Diamond is the definitely the 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 kindest, most approachable COO out there. So if there's people who are like, hey, I want to learn from this guy how we can, you know, follow that model. It's just in his DNA. It's the organization he wanted to build. I don't even think he maps it out as a women initiative. It just is organically how they've built that space out is just as, and that's a, and that's a tribute to the Vikings as well. The Vikings is a pretty, pretty great uh, NFL organization too. Spoken like a true Minnesota. I don't know what the word is for that, but (laughs) (laughs) no, I, I, everything you're saying is absolutely right. Um, Geographical bias aside, I I know that that organization is doing incredible things. And I'll tell you as a pro org, when you build out these initiatives, the brands are going to come because my inbox is flooded with brands and I have a handful of things I can point them to. There's only a handful of, of initiatives out there right now that are centered around women in this space and brands want it bad. So build it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. I want to actually end in a different direction than I thought I was going to end in, but that's okay. 
Are you thinking about the next generation of gaming? So um, let me back up. The reason why I'm asking this is because we, I've talked a lot about Valorant on the show and about what Riot has done with Valorant. I think it's a lot easier to build something from the ground up than it is to go back and change the culture of League of Legends that's been developing for 10 years. So props to Riot for baking it into their first major release after League of Legends that this was going to be much different. I think that that it shows a huge amount of initiative from one of the largest AAA developers. So that, and obviously I'm bringing that up because that's, you know, a next, that's like that Valorant was the next thing for Riot. When I'm looking at the gaming industry as a whole, the next thing is like more AR, VR games, more blockchain games, more, more things in the metaverse space. Are you kind of excited at the prospect of maybe this is new and we can build it differently? Or are you maybe not thinking about that yet, which is also fine. But do you think there's like an opportunity in that space to do like what Riot did with Valorant, but on a much bigger scale, Mm -hmm. like industry wide, basically? Well, I'll say in terms of and I'll try to make be as concise as possible, because I know we're getting close to time. Yes. And right is like the answer. So in a perfect world, we wouldn't need to create separate women's initiatives in this industry because there's no advantage on either gender's part to be an elite gamer. And um, we're very equally matched in terms of capabilities. And Eric Anderson spoke with, um, we, we spoke together in Abu Dhabi recently about women's initiatives. And he said something really interesting, which just got my wheels turning. For those of you who don't know who Eric is, he is the head of esports at FaZe Clan, which is kind of a big deal. You know, he spoke about games for girls when they're eight to 14 years old. What's marketed to them isn't necessarily the games that are esports right now that are popular. So less girls are playing those, but that's the age that you're really getting good and you can kind of get into being signed. So boys are not dropping off. They're playing games like Call of Duty and Valorant and Rocket League at a much younger age. We need to promote these games to girls a little bit better. And we need to ensure that we're creating equitable spaces for younger girls, younger and younger to get into these types of games and be competitive. It's harder to just say, we're going to just sign a bunch of these women's carball players to RLCS, right? You, You mentioned toxicity, and that's definitely still very prevalent in the space. So While we're creating safe spaces for women, and I'm working really hard to build safe places for women, the goal is to get the eyeballs on these women by the big franchise pro team so that they can get signed. I I go back and forth with people who are like, well, what if RLCS steals one of your top girls on one of your top teams? Awesome. Then I won. Then I win. And I'll find another, we'll get more talent coming in, in the door. Um, in regards to where the metaverse is going, I've had some conversations about this recently too, about like, it would be interesting to have genderless gaming avatars and really kind of see where competition levels out. Um, that would be really interesting within the space. I think what we already know about how women game is many of them who are wanting to compete sometimes, oftentimes, hide their gender anyways, because if they are, you know, um, exposing their gender, they will be maybe lobby kicked out or ganged up on and killed. 
Um, there's a lot of I- issues there. Gamer Safer is a really great resource for anybody who wants to learn about some of the toxicity in the space and tactics that are being used. And, and many of them are being used to kind of hijack some of the women's initiatives. So we'll have people create fake accounts and pretend we've got a pretty strict verification process with our league. Yeah, I think the metaverse is going to be really interesting. I think I think we're going to be able to create more safe, verified spaces and be able to kind of track the people who are taking advantage of or being toxic towards individuals because when you're in the metaverse and and you know the way that the blockchain works is you're not going to really be able to pretend or have all of these different, you know, accounts or whatever. Yeah, I like that point because it's 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 a little bit difficult to explain because it's like your data is actually more it's actually safer and there's more privacy involved, but at the same time you're right like the actions that you do are still tied to you. So if there's one particular account that's causing a lot of ruckus, you may not know who they are, but it's very easy to find those transactions and those movements on that account. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's, yeah, it's weird because it's, it's more private, but more transparent too at the same time. Yeah. The accountability is there because you're not going to be able to go in and have like 20 metaverse type of, that's not how it, why it's being built. You know, it's really like, I just bought um, a luxury item like that is tied to blockchain. So if I ever sold it, then I'll, it'll be registered and they'll know that it's an authentic item there's, you know, it's just interesting the way that the world is, is evolving. So, I mean, in summary, separate but equal doesn't necessarily work here. It's, it is kind of a bandaid-ish approach, I guess, in the moment, but we do need safe places for women to compete and game and hone in on skills together. We need more strong male allies, being someone who has a 16-year-old son and who games a lot, probably 10 hours a day. You know, I talk to him a lot about being a strong ally. Like you would never, you know, my my son would say he would never act in that way, but not acting in that way does not equate to standing up for. So we need more people to stand up against that type of hate. And I mean, I even see it with like industry executives with what's been recently happening with a, a, a woman streamer whose husband um, was very abusive and she came out and released content around that. And some, some men in our industry that are industry executives, some of their comments on some of Jake Lucky's LinkedIn posts are so deplorable. I've been like biting my tongue on calling them out. It's like, I just don't understand why a man would think a woman would do that for content or do that for attention. And it still is happening with grown men in leadership positions within our industry. It's just blows my mind what woman at any age wants to come forward and and admit they're being abused and like no one would do that for attention it's the most that's not fun i don't know i don't know what people people always think that there's some monetary value to that i'm like nobody gets money from outing an abuser there's no like secret fund to pay you if you identify someone who's harassed you especially if you're if you are someone who has any type of public persona because as a woman who is making their own money or making money and in, in, in business, whether they're a streamer or, you know, any type of content creator on social or working in business, you want to be looked at as a businesswoman. And when 
you have to be transparent about being abused. It's a very, it's a very embarrassing, degrading type of a, of a thing to voice. It's not an easy thing to voice. It is, you you feel very, you feel very weak and you feel, you know, it's just an embarrassing thing. I mean, I, I can't imagine anyone ever doing that for anything other than trying to pull themselves out of that type of a situation. So um, yeah, I think, I think we need better allies of men at every layer from young boys that are my son's age and, you know, high school, just getting into high school all the way up through senior executives within this space to really, first of all, believe women and try to understand them and listen to them without judgment. And then second of all, you know, create those safe spaces and help support those spaces. Couldn't agree more. I want to wrap up on that note. I'm going to do a quick summary of what we talked about before we get into the very last question. We began with kind of your journey as a brand and marketing expert and how you really tried to avoid activations that are just a logo slap. You're looking to bring actual value to brands. You need to build out activations that resonate with fans, which requires a deep understanding of the client and the brand. In traditional sports, it's easy easier for brands to just attach themselves, but gaming audiences are more interested in data privacy. They're a little bit more sophisticated when it comes to tech. So they're looking more for brands to come alongside them and have a conversation rather than just talking at them. We talked about brands who are getting into esports, and if they aren't intrigued or excited or curious and instead defensive, they're not worth the time. There's lots of brands out there that are, and for you, it's not the fear of missing out, it's the cost of missing out. So brands that that aren't on board should turn that around real quick. We talked a lot about women's carball, which started as a place for women to play without toxicity and has been a success in terms of viewership. That's been high. I know that you mentioned that the league was facing some difficulty due to it being kind of so grassroots, but that you were able to come on board, start building that foundation and start getting some of the investment from some of the big players in the community, getting Gen G and Misfits and Luminosity under enthusiasts to have signed teams. And it's all of our responsibility to actually do the work to get women in gaming the investment support that it needs. We ended with a big discussion on how to get more women in the space. There are obviously so many issues, but some of the heavy hitters you pointed out were that hiring managers need to look for transferable skills that can work in esports and gaming rather than direct experience. Brand and marketing efforts need to talk to girls and women much more in what they do. Game developers and script writers should be empowered, excited, encouraged to write strong female characters and of all types. And publishers should make women's esports initiatives a pillar from the beginning. We ended on talking about kind of the future, a little bit about what's happening now, but we need to be able to create more equitable spaces for girls to get into gaming younger and younger. In the metaverse, it might actually happen through things like genderless gaming avatars and pure pure skill-based competition where there's maybe less of that look sound, feel of of men versus women players. We may be able to also create more safe and verified spaces in the metaverse because of the built-in transparency. But all of this all along still requires buy-in from male allies in particular and for men to be educated on a lot of the issues within the industry because a lot of them still have the very wrong idea, which is unfortunate. With that being said, we're going to end with a segment that I like to do at the end of every podcast. This is called a moment of reflection. It's just a chance for you to look back at your career. And I always like to ask my guests 
what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming industry and being successful? It's kind of funny because if I was talking to my younger self about working in gaming, my younger self would be like, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I mean, because it wasn't like on my map. Um, I am a lover of learning and leaning into innovation. So I think for, for me, my younger self, I would have never thought I would have left traditional sports. I think I would have probably died on a basketball court in my, like, if I had talked to myself 20 years ago, oh I would have just, like, I can't believe you're a basketball player. I had no idea. Oh, we have so many things to talk about. <laughs> I would have like died there. So, um, I mean, I really have a deep understanding of the business of basketball and I really love basketball. And however, esports, when I was introduced to it, I just got to fire my belly and, and now I'm learning a lot about other emerging technology. Cheryl Sandberg once was asked where she would see herself in five years. And she said, I can't tell you where I would see myself in five years because it hasn't been invented yet. And that's kind of now my mantra. Thank you, Cheryl Sandberg, um, for putting things so eloquently for me, because that has really been the ethos without words for my career is really looking to you know, for me, early in my career, it was web one. And I remember having conversations with people about getting a website and they were like, I'm in the yellow pages. I have a full page ad. I don't need a website, goofy young whippersnapper, right? Like, there's just like, you know, and then social media like was a new thing. And I like literally rode the digital wave and the digital wave and the digital wave and digital is the future and the metaverse is probably the future. So we'll see kind of where things go. But I would say what I would want to tell my younger self is to continue to take risk, to continue to believe in myself, to continue to follow what puts a fire in my belly and to, you know, if somebody isn't all in on me or doesn't see my value. To, I wish I would have quit sooner a couple of other things that I've done in the past. I would. I wish I would have just quit sooner when I've worked for people who don't get my passion or don't really understand me and what I want, where, where, I'm, where I'm thinking next. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you, follow you, ask questions, follow up? Listen to your podcast. Yeah. um, Plug everything. um, LinkedIn, um, Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-L-O-N-G-A-W-A, R Longua on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, which is, I mean, it's a blend of my whole life. So if you like fishing and dogs and uh, hiking and esports, then my Instagram is for you. That's Rebecca underscore Longua. Yeah, that's me. That's where you can find me. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. For all the listeners, don't forget to leave the five-star ratings and reviews. They mean so much to me. Be sure to check out other Holodeck Media podcasts, including Meta Business and Business of Esports. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, Lindsay Poss, and you can catch me Wednesday afternoons on the Business of Esports Live After Show. You can catch this podcast in your feed every week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.